The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Jewish holidays are biblical holidays. They're either the Levitical Feast of the Lord, such as Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, or they're celebrations of great victories in Jewish biblical history, such as the holidays of Purim and Hanukkah. Purim commemorates the great deliverance of the Jewish people in the book of Esther. During Purim, children and sometimes even adults wear costumes because Queen Esther was hidden and disguised in the king's palace. Purim is wholesome, unlike Halloween, which turns children into witches and goblins. Hanukkah, on the other hand, is a winter festival that sometimes coincides with Christmas. The Hanukkah holiday is prophetically and increasingly significant. And today, I want to explain why all believers should understand the prophetic significance of Hanukkah. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Jewish holidays help to bring the Bible to life. While many Christians in the West prepare to celebrate Christmas, in Israel, Hanukkah is a wintertime festival that's sometimes called the Feast of Dedication because it commemorates the rededication of the Second Temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Jewish revolt against a wicked king of Syria. The name Hanukkah derives from the Hebrew verb to dedicate. Because at Hanukkah, the Maccabean Jews regained control of Jerusalem and rededicated their temple. So can you see today how regaining control of their capital of Jerusalem and the dedication of another Jewish temple would be very significant prophetically to the Jewish people? In fact, each year at Hanukkah, religious Israelis move ever closer to the time when they can build and dedicate their third temple. By faith, already now they're preparing the sacred olive oil that will be needed for the temple's golden lampstand, the menorah, and other implements of temple worship. Hanukkah is sometimes also called the Festival of Lights, because during the eight days of the holiday, Jewish families light a candle each night to commemorate the miracle of light in the rededicated temple. And what was that miracle? Well, after the cleansing of the temple, there had not been enough oil to burn for the menorah. But nevertheless, miraculously, the temple oil multiplied for eight days. And that's why a Hanukkah menorah, called a Hanukkah, is different from the seven-branched temple menorah. The Hanukkah menorah has nine branches, eight branches to represent the miraculous eight days of light, and a ninth branch is called the servant candle to light all the wicks of the other eight branches. The Jewish Talmud recorded that after the temple was purified, the wicks of the menorah miraculously kept burning, and so the miracle of the oil is the reason or the excuse for why Hanukkah cuisine specializes in yummy foods fried in oil, such as potato lackeys and jelly-filled donuts called sufganiyot. 
During Hanukkah, religious Jews recite the Halal prayer and sing hymns, beseeching God to restore the house of prayer and the temple altar so that Thanksgiving offerings can be made once again to God. Hanukkah is such a high point in the Jewish calendar that it's become an occasion when Jewish people exchange gifts. The Hanukkah miracle is chronicled in the book of the Maccabees, which is not found in the Hebrew Bible today. But the Maccabees were included in the Septuagint, which was the standard translation of the Hebrew Bible during the Hellenistic period. Hanukkah is a memorial to an event that took place in what we call the Intertestament period, around the year 165 BC. Hanukkah celebrates the victory of the Jewish people over a blasphemer who desecrated the second Jewish temple. The blasphemer was a forerunner, a prototype of the Antichrist. So let's take a look over in the New Testament for a minute where the Apostle Paul prophesied in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, will actually sit in the future temple of God and proclaim himself to be God. Paul writes in this chapter, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to gather to him, we ask you not to let anyone deceive you in any way. For Paul said, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So you see, the temple has to be rebuilt in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this evil man's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. He said, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Well, the spirit of Antichrist has been around throughout the history of redemption, but there will be a final attempt by Satan to rule the world through the last Antichrist. And this coming man of lawlessness will be Satan's appointed blasphemer who will attempt to destroy Israel and all who worship God. He'll play a crucial role in the last days. And so you may wonder what in the world does he have to do with Hanukkah? But we have to understand that Hanukkah celebrates Israel's victory over an historical figure who was a type of the ultimate antichrist, a type of the final blasphemer. Because the New Testament clearly teaches that in the future, the third temple will be defiled, just as the second temple was defiled. We can study the forerunner of the antichrist who lived in the days of the Maccabean revolt. The time frame was about 160 years before Jesus was born and the blasphemer villain was the Syrian king Antiochus, who brazenly gave himself the title Epiphanes, meaning God made manifest. But in a wordplay on his self-appointed title of Epiphanes, Antiochus's contemporaries called him Epimanus, meaning the mad or the insane one. He was a maniac, 
like Adolf Hitler, Antiochus was a delusional blasphemer because he persecuted the Jews and thought he could wipe out Judaism from the world. Antiochus tried to eliminate the Jewish community through the introduction of Hellenistic cults, and he severely persecuted Jews who refused to bend to his agenda. In seeking to force Greek culture on the Jews, Antiochus was following the intentions of Alexander the Great, and due to this overwhelming Hellenistic culture, the region was speaking Greek by the time of Jesus. In fact, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek and spread quickly because so many people throughout the empire knew Greek. Well, Antiochus invaded Jerusalem. He plundered the temple treasures and defiled the Holy of Holies of the temple by erecting an altar to Zeus. And to further blaspheme the God of Israel, he offered a pig on the altar. In fact, he polluted the whole sanctuary, sprinkling it with water boiled with pork. He turned the temple chambers into brothels. In more deliberate calculation to dishonor the God of Israel and to wipe out the Jewish religion. Antiochus killed thousands of Jews and sold many others into slavery. He made a crime punishable by death to circumcise a child or to own a copy of the Torah. According to 1 Maccabees chapter 1, Antiochus executed families whose sons had been circumcised, and they hung the infants from their mother's necks. All of these horrific events triggered the Maccabean revolt because the Judeans insisted on clinging to God and His commandments, and they refused to bend to pagan rituals. 1 Maccabees chapter 1 also records that many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than profane the Holy Covenant or be defiled by prohibited food. Antiochus enacted a law requiring all citizens to present themselves four times a year to pay tribute to him as the senior regional god. And the day chosen for these periodic submissions, of course, the Sabbath. So the revolt to restore Jewish worship began in 167 BC and was led by the Hasmonean family of Jewish priests. In the early days of their rebellion, one of the priests named Judah received the now famous surname Maccabee. Several explanations have been put forward for his title. One suggestion is that the name Maccabee derives from the Hebrew word for sledgehammer because of Judah's ferocity in battle. The rabbis say it's also possible that the name Maccabee is an acronym for Judah's battle cry from Exodus 15.11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Well, I believe it's a loss today that most Christians haven't been taught anything about the faith and courage of the Maccabees. In medieval Christian art, Judah Maccabee was regarded as one of the heroes of the Hebrew Scriptures. The 17th century artist Peter Paul Rubens painted Judah Maccabee praying for the dead to illustrate an episode from 2 Maccabees in which Judah's troops found stolen idolatrous charms on the corpses of Jewish warriors. 
and Judah offered prayers to remit their sins of idolatry because they had died in a state of sin. Well, 2 Maccabees was in everyone's Bible at the time of the Reformation and had already been declared as part of the canon by the Catholics, the Orthodox, and the Egyptian Coptic Christians. But it was removed by Protestant reformers. One of the most beautiful chapels in the world that I saw a couple of years ago is dedicated to the Maccabees in the St. Pierre Cathedral in Geneva, Switzerland. I simply believe the Maccabees were true heroes of biblical proportions. Well, the death of the anti-god figure Antiochus is also described in the book of the Maccabees. When he received word of the defeat of his armies, he remembered the evils that he had done to Jerusalem, and a dreadful pain in his bowels tormented him. He fell from his chariot, and being cast down to the ground, worms swarmed out of his body and the filthiness of the stench was horrible. This mere mortal who claimed that he could reach to the stars of heaven now groveled on the ground with an intolerable stench and he was forced to acknowledge that a mortal man should never name himself Epiphanes, equating himself with God. Bible scholars teach that Antiochus was a prototype of every antichrist to come including the penultimate Antichrist, Hitler, and the ultimate Antichrist of the future. God raised up the Maccabee family to lead a revolt to spare the people of Israel. Hitler was destroyed by the Allies, and the future Antichrist will be destroyed by Jesus himself at his second coming. Some Christians today ask if it's legitimate for Christians to celebrate Hanukkah. I think it's interesting that by New Testament times, the relatively new Jewish festival of Hanukkah was nevertheless mentioned in John chapter 10. The verse says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Why do you suppose the New Testament makes reference to Hanukkah, the feast of dedication? Well, not only does John... Chapter 10 validate the festival biblically for Christians, but many scholars believe that Hanukkah was the actual time of the Lord's conception, the moment in time when the light of the world became incarnate in the virgin's womb. If Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which many scholars believe, then nine months earlier his conception would have been likely at Hanukkah the Feast of Dedication, and it would be very appropriate for the light of the world to enter this world in the virgin's womb at the Festival of Light. Some believers balk at celebrating Christmas because they don't believe that Jesus was born on December the 25th. In fact, many believe December 25 is a man-made holiday, but celebrating Hanukkah in the wintertime not only honors God's keeping power of the Jewish people, and their important deliverance during the days of the Maccabee warriors, but it may also be the very time to celebrate when the Savior of the world became incarnate. That within itself is worthy of study. But what we're looking at today is the cause of the Maccabean revolt, the evil leader Antiochus Epiphanes, 
and how he fulfilled prophecy and how he was a prototype of the dangerous Antichrist to come. You see, in the book of Daniel, the Bible gave us a prophecy about the development of a world empire out of which the blasphemous leader Antiochus would appear. In this clear example of Bible typology through Antiochus, God gave the world an example of the coming Antichrist and what this future man of sin will do during the time of Jacob's trouble, a time period that will also be known as the Great Tribulation. Just as Antiochus proclaimed himself to be God manifested, so the Antichrist will claim to be God. The Antichrist, with the assistance of his false prophet, will be the leader of an imposed universal religion, and he will defile the holy place in Jerusalem by putting up some sort of image of himself to be worshipped in the rebuilt Jewish temple. Eschatologists say that because of the typology of the blasphemous actions of Antiochus, one might assume that the Antichrist's abomination will be installed in the Holy of Holies, where it'll somehow be animated, perhaps with artificial intelligence or even by a satanic miracle. Well, in the Gospels, in Matthew 24, in verse 15, Jesus referred to the abomination that makes desolate mentioned by the prophet Daniel. Either Jesus or the gospel writer injected the warning, let the reader understand. In other words, we must pay careful attention. Some sort of kindred abomination to the action of Antiochus is going to happen again in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus wants to strengthen the disciples' faith by foretelling events before they occur. He stated this principle in the Gospels. He said, I've told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you might believe. And because he loves and cares deeply about his physical Jewish people, Jesus left a warning for Israel and the world that the blasphemy and defilement of Antiochus will be repeated in the last days. In other words, Antiochus gave the world a preview of the evil actions of the Antichrist. In his Olivet briefing, Jesus warned, Take heed that no man deceive you. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, the Temple Institute and many Orthodox Jewish leaders forge ahead with their plans to rebuild a third temple. On the one hand, they're exhibiting faith by making restoration plans because they know that it is God's intention and it is God's will to regather the Jewish people at this time. They know the scriptures state in Psalm 102 that God has a set time to rebuild Zion and to have mercy upon Zion. However, what these faith-filled Jews of this generation are overlooking is the New Testament warning from Jesus and from the Apostle Paul, that the man of sin will desecrate their temple. Nevertheless, God will allow this tragic episode for men's hearts to be tested and for them to learn the truth. After all, we have to take into consideration that Jesus had already warned Israel with a very sobering prophecy in John 5, 43. He said to his generation, 
I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, him you will accept. The religious establishment rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and they wouldn't receive him. They misunderstood the purpose of his first coming, and they treated him as an imposter. They believed he was a deceiver because to them Jesus didn't appear in outward pomp and glory, and he didn't deliver them from Roman rule. But Jesus prophesied tragically that the Jewish people will receive one who comes in his own name. By the way, the Ethiopic version of John 5:43 reads, If another shall come in my name, claiming he is the Messiah, Jesus said, him you will receive, speaking ultimately of the Antichrist. To summarize, today people generally don't know much about history, and so I dare say that the average man on the street has never heard of Antiochus. But Antiochus Epiphanes is used as a type or model of the future coming world leader. His blasphemous actions foreshadowed what the future Antichrist will do in a rebuilt Jewish temple. And this future defilement of God's temple is called the abomination of desolation in the Bible. But history has given us another even more graphic illustration of the kind of beast Antichrist will be. And of course, that example was Adolf Hitler. Hitler was satanic, the classic historic example of the final Antichrist. I believe in every generation Satan grooms a candidate waiting in the wings to oppose God in Israel. And Hitler fit the satanic bill because he hated the Jews and attempted to wipe them off the face of the earth. But the Lord wouldn't allow Hitler to thwart God's promise to redeem Israel and give them a kingdom. The famous Antichrist prophecy in Daniel chapter 8 verses 23 to 25 goes beyond the description that was historically fulfilled in both Antiochus and Hitler and gives us a portrait of the ultimate Antichrist. Daniel's details will be fulfilled to the letter in the Antichrist to come of the latter days. Let's look at these prophetic words from Daniel chapter 8. It says, And in the latter time when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and shall destroy the mighty, the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken. Hallelujah. This passage in the book of Daniel tells us the character of the Antichrist will be one of shameless audacity. He will also have a fierce countenance and will be full of deceit and subtlety. He'll understand dark sentences, meaning that He'll be a master of intrigue, of the occult, and highly proficient in deceit. His power will not be his own power. It will be satanic. 
And did you notice by peace he shall destroy many? That's why we admonish Israel to trust in God alone and not to put their trust in peace treaties, which lull people into a false and unreal security. Jesus warned in his briefing on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24. He said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place and whoever reads and whoever hears, let him understand. Jesus said, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who's out in the field not go back to get any clothes. And woe to those, Jesus said, who are pregnant and who have nursing babies in those days. And he said, pray that your escape will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, this was referring, of course, to religious Jews who can't travel on the Sabbath. For then, Jesus says, there's going to be great tribulation, such as not has been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And he said, unless those days are shortened, no flesh is going to be saved. But for the elect's sake, the days will be shortened. And Jesus added, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus also warned Israel in Matthew 24 that when they see this command to worship the beast, the Antichrist, the abomination, they should flee Israel as quickly as possible. Their journey out of Israel will most likely take them to the rock fortress of Petra in Jordan, where the Lord promises to protect the fleeing inhabitants of Israel for the final three and one half years of the great tribulation period, Jacob's trouble. So in conclusion today, you may no longer wonder how a discussion of the Hanukkah holiday takes us into the end times because Hanukkah celebrates the defeat of Israel's enemy and it celebrates overcoming a blasphemer, a forerunner of the ultimate antichrist, the false Christ who will try to impose a false worship upon Israel and the world in the future. But just as God raised up the Maccabee warriors to oppose Antiochus, God will have his faithful followers in the last days those who will not compromise the truth of God's word. And I hope with all of my heart that includes me and you. So my challenge to you right now is, are you ready for the Lord's return? I urge you to accept the claims of the Lord Jesus upon your heart. Believe on him as Lord and Savior. Call upon his name and the Bible promises you shall be saved. Amen. Now I want you to feel free to contact me on the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine exploits. We call our ministry exploits because of the verse in Daniel 11:32, which says that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and that will carry out exploits, the works of the Lord. A reminder also that our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. 
I'm Christine Daring. Shalom and Maranatha. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.